Welcome all to Legal Tech Week for January 12th, 2024. This is the show where every week we get together and talk about the top stories in legal tech and innovation. I'm Bob Ambrogi. I have a blog called Law Sites and a podcast called Law Next. And our panelists today, starting uh, Nikki, you want to kick it off with your introduction? I'll do my best. I've been struggling here uh, since we started. Um, <clears throat> my name is Nikki Black. I am the uh, head of SME and external education, in my case, and law pay. I write legal tech columns for um, Above the Law, ABA Journal, and <clears throat> the Daily Record. And I also oversee and write our benchmark reports and our legal industry report, um, in my case, and law pay side of things. And I'm looking forward to diving in today. Right. And Joe. Uh, Joe Patrice from Above the Law and the Thinking Like a Lawyer podcast. I am uh, super excited to be here again because I get to talk about my favorite topic, uh, how everybody else in the world seems a year behind on technology. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're glad to have you back again. Uh, Stephanie. Um, hello, I'm Stephanie Wilkins. I'm the editor-in-chief of Legal Tech News at AOM, and I'm excited <laughs> to have... A reason for one whole hour to stop <clears throat> thinking about legal week or the predictions that I am drowning in from everyone in the industry. <laughs> uh, we're going to call you to task next year. I think. I think we're going to have to go back and go through all these predictions and see, see how they do. But yeah, it's trouble with predictions, yeah. right? Well, if I think about that now, that'll be easier than if I think about it right before I would need to do it. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, all right, and Steve. <clears throat> hey, Steve Embry here. I write the blog Tech Law Crossroads about legal innovation and legal technology. Well, maybe we should, maybe, uh, Steve, you could kick us off only because you are fresh back from uh, <laughs> an actual conference that none of us went to, uh, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, which is not a legal tech conference, but a tech mm -hmm. conference with some interesting stuff going on. All right. Yeah, I just got back from spending a week with 50,000 of my closest friends crammed together in sp small spaces, long lines, and uh, bars and uh, restaurants. So, Sounds like the disco party. So illegally. probably, <laughs> probably uh, in a couple of days, I won't be able to talk or breathe. But uh, no, it was, you know, I, I go every year and uh it's always a good time there's always a lot of new insights um it's uh become a little bit more of a production i noticed this year um you know a lot of the keynotes were uh sort of bragging about stuff as opposed to talking about um uh, innovation and approaches and problem solving, although there was some of that. Um, but the, the big exhibitors, the Samsungs and the LGs, you know, seem to be taking over more and more and more of the exhibit space. And, you know, when, when you have to stand in line to get into a exhibitor's space on the floor, it, to me, it's like, I think this is a little much, guys, <laughs> just to look at phones that you already could see at Best Buy. Um, but there's always some, you know, some stuff pertaining to to legal and virtual influence legal. And I've been writing a series of articles for Above the Law for what I saw this week from, um, you know, uh, all sorts of, of different things. Um, 
you know, it's it's. I always feel funny when I come back from it because I see all these articles of people talk about all these great big announcements at uh, at CES, and I'm going like like my big announcement was was the startup that's created music just to calm dogs down and alleviate their stress. I missed all these other cool things, but it's kind of to be expected because it's it's really spread out from one end of Las Vegas to the other and. I was telling Bob before we started, you just have to kind of pick your spots. You can't go to two different venues in one day and expect to accomplish anything. But it's because as anybody that's been to Las Vegas knows, getting anywhere, getting from point A to point B in Las Vegas, even if it's a quarter of a mile, can take you, you know, 10 times longer than you think it will. Um, so anyway, I've put a series of stories about the laws, been publishing them. And uh, yeah, it was a good time. I'd recommend it. I'd recommend it for anybody because it uh, it is enlightening, you know, to, to talk to these guys who don't have the sort of legal mindset that that we all kind of deal with in the shows that we go to. I mean, they're you know they're not they're not looking for ways not to do things as much as they're looking for ways to push the envelope and come up with new stuff. And their mindset's just a lot different. It is fun talking to them, and you know. I would say 60 to 70% of the stuff that just comes out and they talk about it at CES never happens, <laughs> but you know, that's okay because you know, it's at least somebody's thinking of something that could happen and could be developed. And um, so, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, I hope, hopefully I'll be back again next year if I can survive it all. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the, uh, it's one of those things where I, every time I hear you talk about it, I think, okay, I'm going to go to that next year. And then next year comes around and I totally forgot about it and I, I don't go there. Uh, but one of these days I'm going to go there. <laughs> yeah. But I love reading. Yeah, a lot of surprises. I've been, I've been, yeah. I've been reading all the, all the, all the stories coming out in the tech, the tech periodicals about all the weird little things being unveiled yeah. there. The, the one that I thought was really funny because I mean, pretty much, going back to when I used to read popular mechanics or whatever things were that we were talking about flying cars. And like one of the big items this year was apparently a flying car that was there. Oh, Did you yeah. just happen to see that one? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, they, that's, that's, they come out with that sort of periodically. It's, that's not the first time that that's, you know, the, the George Jetson flying cars, you know, have been on the, on the exhibit floor. You know, one of the things that, it, that was kind of funny, and it was kind of different, um, yeah, before I went, I read you know all the press about it. it's all going to be about generative AI and you know blah 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 blah, and it's huge. You know that's all they're going to talk about. And yeah, I mean it was not it was talked about a lot, but like not as much as as like the legal tech vendors are talking about it at the shows we go to. It's it was it was more um, you know this is what this product will do. Uh, as opposed to look at generative AI and what it's going to revolutionize with all of our products. And this will do this, 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 and this. It was more, you know, yeah, this is backed by generative AI, but let me tell you what, what we can do with this, uh, which was kind of interesting. And then, you know, I went to a, a startup pitch kind of thing and they had 10 startups that pitched different products. Um, nine of them had, Virtually nothing to do with generative AI. They were, 
practice all sorts of, you know, vacuum pumps for food and the dog music and all these different things. One guy pitched generative AI and it, it was, it was, it was something that was going to summarize market research that you could use if you wanted to find out what your competitors were doing. And listen to this going like, didn't we already, didn't already do this? <laughs> isn't, it, isn't that what chat GPT does if you just ask it? You like, so that was, so it made me think, you know, it sounded very familiar to a lot of our, our legal tech presentations. Like, look at generative AI and what it's going to do. It's like, well, yeah, that's what it's going to do. We know that. <laughs> there, there was a generative so AI uh, backyard grill. Did you did you see that one? <laughs> yeah, I didn't see that. It was like it's it's like perfect you know, thirty five hundred dollars or something. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it is really so. It's funny because I mean, it, of the exhibit space, got up at over half of it was devoted to automotive. You know, self-driving cars or people supplying parts to self-driving cars. Big, big chunks of it to appliances and cooking. I mean, you could walk through the exhibit floor and there'd be all these booths where, you know, they were cooking, you know, steak or grilling this or grilling that. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's consumer technology in a very broad sense. That's for sure. <laughs> I've always really wanted to check it out. As much as I hate Vegas, I've always thought it just sound really, I don't know. I want to see the wacky stuff. <laughs> maybe it's, maybe that's why yeah. I'm never going to go for work or anything. I just want to see the really crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe we need to it's, take a field trip all like in here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Legal tech week field trip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, since, well, there's, since certainly, uh, there's certainly the a large share of wacky they can, stuff. They can send us all there next year. <laughs> And, and, uh, and are there good parties there? I have to talk to Joe's team about this. <laughs> well, good parties, yeah, you know, but the problem is, like, it's, you start at 8 o'clock in the morning and, and everything runs, like, till 6 o'clock at night. And, like, I'm just worn out by then. Plus, yeah. you go to these parties, like, when we go to the parties, we all sort of, at least we know each other. You know, but you go to the parties at CES, like, I don't know any of these people, you know, and so, and it's, you know, they're, they're, a lot of them are, you know, really very technically oriented, they're coders and, and that sort of thing. And like, so what am I going to talk about to other than to reveal how little I know about coding? And I could do that pretty easily. You can point out all the potential of... liabilities in a given room. You can be like, that chandelier could fall on your head. You'd be really popular, I think. <laughs> yeah, that would be really popular with this group. Yes, I can see I would really advance my, uh, <laughs> my stature. <laughs> well, that's why we need a field trip. If we all go you know, as a unified force, They'll yeah, realize they're missing go. out on something. <laughs> I mean, that happens you when, you go, when you go to events outside of legal and you tell people you're a lawyer, then what? They all start lining up to ask you their legal the questions, shutter. right? <laughs> no, it's, it's more like they all start moving away from you very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like parting the Red Sea or something. <laughs> it depends on the status of their paternity case or criminal prosecution or whatever. Yeah, that is, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll start planning that. Uh, start planning that field trip uh, for, for next year. 
meanwhile, in, in breaking news today, uh, a new study has come out uh, with, some, with some really urgent news that we all need to know about generative AI. I think, uh, and Joe, I think you've got the scoop on that. Yeah. Um, do we have the, the ticker sound effect? Like, did it, did it, did it, or this is very <laughs> new. Uh, in multiple outlets uh, from Bloomberg, The Hill, uh, The Register, all of them reporting about a new study from Stanford. Did you know, brace yourselves, generative AI can make mistakes when it asks legal questions? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know where else to go with that. Uh, shocked, shocked. Yeah, I mean, it's it's horrifying. Yeah, I mean, there's been there's been no indication over the course of the last year that that might be possible. There have been no sanctions or license suspensions or the president's former lawyer getting in trouble for it. Like it's it's it just comes right out of the blue. Um, so okay, so kidding aside, uh, the mainstream media is reporting on this. It is as though it's some sort of breathless new revelation is stupid. Uh, the Stanford study itself is interesting. Um, I don't think that the authors would necessarily have given it the headline that all of these mainstream media did. I think they viewed it much more as an opportunity to get some raw numbers on things that we already knew happened. Uh, but still, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, and I think that actual engineers can use it for, future uh, development, but, you know, it's incredibly backward looking. Like they, they test 3.5, you know, obviously that's not even really where we are anymore. Uh, it's it said that, you know, and it's testing the consumer facing versions, which obviously we all know those suck and that you have to have the versions that are specifically tailored to legal. And, uh, you know, we've all written about how those ones that are now tailored to legal have more or less moved on from the hallucination problem and are concentrating on accuracy issues as far as once you know you have real cases, how do you make sure you're getting the right answer out of them? Uh, that said, the more I thought about it, the more I, I softened a bit and said that, you know, there is something to be said for the mainstream media reporting it this way, because while the lawyers, one would hope, are all going to move on to these legally tailored products, the pro se litigants, the people who just not even like they're pro se, they just have a legal problem and don't have the wherewithal to hire a lawyer, uh, and they think they can negotiate themselves out of it even, uh, those folks are the folks that are at risk in some ways. And so the more we can even though we as legal folks know there are better tools that actually work, maybe it is worth it to blare this out every couple of months so that normal folks, you know, the normies out there know that they can't use this to solve their legal problems. So I didn't get all the way through it. Was the rationale for testing GPT 3.5 and not 4 the fact that that's the one that's free? Or am I just trying to give them more credit than they deserve? <laughs> no, I think I think it's because it's the one, it's the one that's free. Uh, because I think... I think fundamentally they operated on the logic and it, it was weird to me. I think they were operating on the logic that they wanted to test what a random person might be able to access, which sure. Uh, but, you know, they have lines where they're like, you know, this raises questions whether large language models can uh, do anything for legal. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. It, 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 it proves that you can't do it with you 
don't work with it. But like the model isn't the one at fault here. Like the the large language model is fine. Like the, the the you know you know you can put a this is a racing thing. You can put the same engine in a bunch of race cars and they get different results. Uh, it depends on what you got around it. So, I, I mean, it's part of the. Uh you know, again, in terms of sort of softening on the study, because when I when I first heard about it, I was I, I had the kind of the same reaction. And then I, I think one of the maybe striking uh, findings out of the study is just the the extent of, of, of hallucination in uh, legal queries against these large language models. I mean, it, again, looking at the headline, of yeah. it, it's like, you know, 69 to 88 percent uh, a hallucination rate in response to legal queries for these large language models. I mean, I do think that's probably, you know, a, 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 a worse picture than most of us have kind of anticipated in terms of uh, using these these models for for legal queries. Uh, but again, I suppose I, again, I haven't read the study itself, so I suppose it also depends on what kinds of queries they're putting to it and how they're using it and what they're asking it. Um, and I think like, I, I think I just saw some references to like you know asking them to compare cases and ask them to contrast cases and that sort of thing and you know that's that's not the kind of thing an average consumer is going to be doing all that much I don't think right and and one of the things that it noted which doesn't shock any it probably doesn't shock any of us is it's a lot better at understanding the Supreme Court than it is at understanding random district courts it's more likely to make up stuff in a Iowa District Court than it is the Southern District of New York, like it, things like that, like it, because it's being trained on what's newsworthy, and that's gonna, you know, have those sorts of issues. Uh, so it does I, mean that for the, yeah. I was, I was getting ready to say that, you know, I do better at understanding the Supreme Court than the lower district courts. But then <laughs> I thought, that's really not true anymore either. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it. like, look, a normal person trying to solve their own legal problem on their own is most likely not going to need to know what Supreme Court precedent is. And is very likely to need to know what the Iowa Circuit, uh, like they, the Hope County, whatever, Circuit Court says. And that's going to be a thing that those are going to screw up pretty badly. So while we're, while we're talking about hallucinations, do you want to quickly talk about your other story as well? My, uh, my other story was... Uh, it, it wasn't really a tech story, but that but I I morphed it into one. Uh, so <laughs> it was a story. Uh, this one actually came from uh, the ABA journals where I saw it, uh, but Victor's not here, so we'll go ahead and steal this. Uh, the story is that there was a lawyer in Seattle who uh, tried to tried to slip a fake case, a fake news article into a case. Uh, he's basically saying, you know. Exxon is, I think it was Exxon, oh, Chevron. Chevron is really going to screw us over with this arbitration award. Here, see this article from the Saudi Sun about it. But the article was made up. It was just, a, he said, a hypothetical of how they could screw over the people. Uh, it, it's bad. Uh, it's going to cost him. Uh, that's whatever. Uh, so he did that on purpose, uh, by all accounts. However... It got me thinking that we talk a lot about solving the hallucination problem for case law, but there's so many other intersections in legal where you use stuff that is not case law, where you could very easily have hallucinated stuff. Uh, for instance, I like 
just from my own background as a white collar uh, defense person. So I could totally see a scenario where the SEC calls you up, says, you know, we, we need you to defend how much corporate money you're spending on a security detail for your CEO. And you have to compile a presentation. You use a lot of news articles about like other CEO, comparable CEOs who have been kidnapped or whatever. And you put that together. That, you know, that's the sort of thing that I can easily see somebody saying, get me all the news articles of CEOs who've been kidnapped. And some junior associate types that in and a bunch of fake articles get created because that's what this thing does. And then, you know, you've lied to the government about it. Uh, and that's just one of those instances where we think we've got to tap on this case law issue, which is obviously very, very important in litigation. But there's a lot of other places in law where you use non-case law sources uh, that people should still be cognizant of. That was that one. Yeah, I just put a link into Judge Schlegel's deep fake site where he kind of talks about a little bit of that. I mean, it's, you know, a, it's a, it's a, as Stephanie says, legal tech adjacent, I guess, a little bit in terms of the, some of the possible uh, uses for uh, made up stuff uh, in, in courtroom and, and litigation legal settings. I like legal tech adjacent. It's fine. <laughs> that, that's good. Well, yeah, well, and, and uh, we can, we'll, uh, somehow recruit CES into being a legal tech adjacent uh, conference that we can. Something in there has to be used for legal. Something has to be legal. <laughs> I'll, I'll pitch illegal. that. To, I'll or pitch illegal, that, to that works the, too. <laughs> I'll pitch it to the Consumer Technology Association and see if they'll be willing to. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you want to what? Who are you again? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so from uh, from hallucinations in from hallucinations hallucinated and not so hallucinated. Where do we go from there? How about uh, exploding emojis heads or something? <laughs> yeah, that that'd be me. Um, I, <laughs> well, not literally, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't submit my uh, daily record article to talk about today because it was just resources for lawyers to learn about generative AI, and I figured everybody here and everybody that attends this already knows where to learn about it. So I decided to submit some articles that other people had written. And one that I thought was interesting was um, this article where it was about a judge. Uh, it was about a, a judge's opinion where the judge used an exploding head emoji in the opinion, like in issuing its uh, uh, his ruling. Um, and, uh, you know, like... <clears throat> The the basics uh, essentially the um, claim had to do has something to do with billing and um, that the uh, whether text messages were billed at an improper rate um, to the client you know I didn't really and it was a judicial approval of attorneys fees and so um, they didn't get approval and the judge uh, criticized them for their um, a, billing 0.17 for every single text that was sent. And the judge said, well, it's possible they could perseverate over text for 10 minutes, carefully wordsmithing the message. There's no evidence here that that happened, essentially, um, because the responses were things like confirmed at 35% or, okay, thanks, I'll let you know. And the judge is like, how hard was it to come up with that? And so then, <clears throat> and what I thought was ironic was the judge, then the judge said, 
tallying up the texting charges, they exceeded a mind-blowing $750, invokes another emoji, and he put the exploding head emoji in his opinion. And I, uh, first of all, I thought that was interesting because uh, he was sarcastically critiquing their um, emojis. I get that he was doing this ironically, but critiquing their and uh, charging for text based upon the fact that they weren't wordsmithing anything. And so rather than wordsmith in his own opinion, he does what is apparently, uh, according to Eric Goldman, and I'll trust him, the guy who wrote the post, the first uh, the first time this has happened that he's aware of, puts an emoji in his ruling, the exploding head emoji, which A, like, all right, I think it's funny, but A, that's really unprofessional. Like, I feel like judges and judicial opinions are supposed to be very precise. You're supposed to wordsmith the opinion or the decision that you're issuing. You're not supposed to use an emoji. And then as Eric rightly points out, the meaning of emojis changes rapidly over time. Like, I can't keep up with my Gen Z kids' use of emojis. You know, like when you put up a skull, it's the response to something funny. It means I'm dead, which means I think that's so funny I died. Like, and I, I'm still trying to like keep up with all the stuff that they send me and understand what they're doing. And it changes all the time. The expressions change, and then the emojis will change to keep up with the slang that they're using. And so I 100% agree with him that this emoji may mean something very different, especially something violent like a head exploding. Like over time, it may evolve into something else and therefore make the judicial opinion less um, clear. You know, it's going to muddy the judge's opinion on this, uh, the, the judge's holding. So I thought it was interesting and I thought it was um, notable that a judge actually included that in the um, in their conclusion. But I, I hope that that's not a trend that sticks around because it doesn't seem very wise to me to do that on a regular basis. Did he use the emoji to balance out his use of words like perseverate? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it was it's a good question. Who knows? I, but I, I thought it was kind of like, why would you do this as a judge? Why? I know I think he must think it's funny, but why would you do that? And it's just so ruling. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't like it. I object. <laughs> And it even depends on who's reading the opinion, right? Because certain emojis mean something to Gen Z that they might mean something entirely different to boomers or, or some other generation. So uh, yeah, yeah use, use plain English, I guess. And I feel like we talked about it before in here. It's the whole story behind the gun emoji, right? How one operating system changed it to a water gun before another one had, so it meant different things. So like, if you send a text saying like, meet me in the park with that emoji, one's a water gun and one's not it's very different meanings like so I, I don't even know the extent to which they render differently on different oper operating systems now too but there's people should use words if they really want to convey ideas that yeah, are important uh, <laughs> especially if it's a judge i mean come on isn't like uh analysis and um your conclusions are your art form if you will like that's literally what you're supposed to be doing so even though you may think it's funny, I think it was completely inappropriate. Shouldn't have done that. Makes me angry. <laughs> I don't have much to be angry about, I guess, but. Okay, so boomer. <laughs> right? Thumbs up to that. Oh, wait, that, that's not a good emoji to use anymore, right? <laughs> I did have another story to talk, we could talk about later. That I just thought was notable. Like a you know, jacket. Track keep case. us in suspense. All right, fine. It was just, um, I mean, it's a short ABA journal story um, that I thought was notable, basically just about some paralegals along with a um, North Carolina justice 
for all projects, filing suit, um, claiming that the ban on unauthorized practice of law is unconstitutional as applied to their share legal advice on filling out court-created legal forms for common legal issues. And so I just thought it was a notable tactic to try to <clears throat> um, uh, increase, uh, you know, to reduce unauthorized practice, the bans on unauthorized practice of law in most states. And um, I feel like it's indicative of, first of a trend in legal, like we're seeing multiple ways of trying to sort of attack those or approach those bans or regulatory sandboxes or whatever. But also I feel like it almost, and I can't think of some specific examples off the top of my head outside of legal, but I feel like there's sort of a trend um, of people trying to sort of, um, it's like something that's happening in our culture right now where people are trying to get in on what the professionals are doing or um, take things up so that um, there's more access to things for the common, you know, the common person who doesn't have the necessary knowledge. And this is something I clearly didn't flesh out, but as I read it, I felt like it was sort of evidence of a, a trend of things I've been seeing, but I, there's, I cannot enunciate or provide you with any examples of the things I've seen outside of legal. So it's not a very helpful commentary, but I think it's something to watch. So there. <clears throat> Well, there was uh, was it wasn't there? What was the Florida First Amendment case? Was it dentists or something over over professional licensing uh, a couple of years ago, uh, <clears throat> where there was some chat? You know, I, I can't remember what I have no idea what I'm talking about. But there was a case in Florida where there was <clears throat> some professional group like accountants or dentists or something that were challenging the licensing laws on First Amendment grounds and, and uh, in a similar way. Um, I mean. I think I'd want a licensed dentist. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, it brings the writer's strike to mind for me. And I have no idea why. And I think there's some sort of analogy there, but you can't access it. And I don't know why that makes me think of this. And so um, I, I think it may just be my the wiring in my brain crossing. But yeah. well, well, there, I have to give that you know, some there, thought. There was, that, there was that flurry of lawsuits against state bar associations for spending money on various causes and the individual members were saying it's a violation of their freedom of expression because you had to join the bar to practice law. And I don't know what, there were several of those cases. I don't know whatever happened to, to them. I guess, I guess it was really one way or the other, but I don't recall. We're all, we're all fired, fired really strong here today. We're all like, it was something <laughs> like this. I can't remember. Well, <laughs> we're just hallucinating ourselves well, right now. Like, it's it's, well, it's, terrible. it's actually there? terrible because I saw that North Carolina, case, the, the lawsuit, and I, I've been meaning to kind of dig into it because I, I first of all, I thought maybe this night might not even be the first legal one, one in the legal world to, uh, on a First Amendment ground. So I'm not sure about that. But I did also see... Um, something um, somebody posted on LinkedIn today related to that North Carolina case, also analogizing it to like accounting and, and some liberalization that's been happening in the county accounting field or some attempts at liberalization of licensing in the accounting field. So, you know, I think you're definitely onto something. This is not just legal, but, uh, you know, I, I do think that uh, the, the legal profession has been uh, somewhat notorious for uh, trying to clamp down on any effort to uh, encroach on and licensing. I mean, it, it's gotten a little bit better over the last few years, but I mean, we all saw, you know, all the uh, lawsuits against, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
legal zoom and and rocket lawyer and avo back in the day when they were trying to do some really interesting stuff and uh any number of lawsuits were to try and shut them down and keep them from doing that and that's continued to be a problem i mean maybe that's why <clears throat> we hear so much about it in legal is because lawyers file suits <laughs> and we hear about it i think what it is i think now that i'm fleshing this out in my head a little bit i think what it is for me is it's this idea of right like sort of capitalism almost in the midst of a collapse here because you've got such a gap between the haves and the have nots right now and you know there's all these theories that there's going to be like a revolution and because the haves have so much and nobody else has anything. And so, you know, the working class is gonna rise up. So I think that's why it makes me think a little bit of like the um, the writer's strike um, and just sort of like frustration with Hollywood and paying all the people at the top a lot of money, but the people that are actually making the content are getting screwed. And then, you know, I feel like paralegals, we all know that they do so much work in law firms. They make no money. My husband's a nurse, um, Mary brought up in a chat, you know, my. The nurses get paid horribly. I mean, he literally was like there from day one in COVID. He's an ICU nurse. Like he works a ton and he does not get compensated, right? So there's all these people that are the working class, for lack of a better word, you know, when it comes to that type of thing that are just, I, I feel like it's this evidence of like bubbling, like this bubbling dis, dis, malcontent, discontent, malcontent. Um, and it's just one, that's an evidence of it happening in, in our own sphere. But I think it's just like sort of happening everywhere. And I think that's more what I was and, thinking, and I wasn't able to really clearly state. Just, just as a, just as further evidence of that, I heard today that Tim Cook's compensation last year was sixty-three million dollars, and the median salary paid to a person working at Apple last year was ninety thousand dollars. That's a bit of a gap, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I thought to myself when I when I, when I heard that, like, I. What would you do with $63 million? <laughs> I mean, you're running the biggest company on the, in the, on the planet. You have no time to do anything else. What are you going to spend your $63 million on? <laughs> An extra yacht or two. No, they're that like you, buying have... islands. I read that um, Zuckerberg on his island or something has Wagyu beef that are being raised. So then when he goes and lives on his island in the apocalypse, he's going to have really good beef available to him like come on this is what they're spending their money on it's outrageous unbelievable what they have helicopters with like steps to go like to take them to these islands once the proletariat or whatever you know that ruling class rises up and you know and so they all are just going to like escape to their little islands or else escape off the earth like that's what they're spending their money on it's unbelievable no i'll hop off my podium now <laughs> the end the the uh the um David Latt's column today, I think it was, or something, he talked about the what the, the salaries of the top general counsel in the country. Yeah. Uh, what was it like? I mean, I think they were all up like $28 million, something like that, you know, in, in not just sal shouldn't say salary, total compensation packages, but, uh, you know, just bizarre amounts of money. Uh, and one of them, I think the third highest one was like the, the general counsel of Zoom. And I was thinking, I was just on a call with a Zoom sales representative last week, haggling over what I pay for this webinar subscription, <laughs> trying to get them to continue this nice little rate I've had for a while. And I'm thinking, here they are haggling over a few bucks with Zoom while their general counsel is getting $28 million. Maybe I should call him. I guess, right. we, should, I guess, we, should let, I guess we should let everybody know that you know, collectively, those of us in this call are easily worth... Fifty thousand dollars. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> but we do it, but we do accept bribes. So right. um, we're looking to make our 63 million next year. This year. We're working on it. <laughs> we like to advertise trip. on Legal Tech Week. To fund our field trip to Las Vegas. <laughs> fund our field trip to uh no, that's what one, we should. We could revive the old. The old. We could. We could like get J Jesse to take us in her her RV and take us around the country. <laughs> and we could just do episodes from every city in the uh, in the country. Uh, Legal Tech Week on the road. The road show. Road show. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's good. A nice big uh, one of those big RVs with. I feel like we'd hate each other by the end of it. It will, this whole thing would implode. <laughs> no. We would hate right? each other. You're right. Probably after about a week, we had enough. Have you ever sailed on a small boat with with people who are kind of semi strangers or something, and you find out by the end of the week just how hard it is to spend a week cooped up in a small space with a stranger? <laughs> um, all right, all right. Well, uh, <laughs> from strangers to uh, there's no transition off. <laughs> what are we going to talk about, Stephanie? How about some? Uh, uh, Impromptu in yeah. what am I trying to say? Recordings that were not intended to happen. Yeah, it's my favorite theme of lawyers behaving badly with technology. I mean, I love it so much that I proposed a legal week panel that I am now moderating on. It's not a tech <laughs> problem, it's a you problem. Um, this one, I it was one of our other publications wrote it. I didn't even really notice it until I was like, that seems weird. Basically, it was um some people who had had it, it was an online hearing or, or trial or um and so they were showing the exhibit a witness the witness and exhibit the other way they were showing the witness and exhibit and it was one of the ones where they had to like manipulate a mouse to show it was like a slip and fall case like where did you fall show us in this picture and they couldn't the witness couldn't figure out how to use the tech or whatever so they recessed and let the lawyer show them how to use the tech with like strict warnings of don't coach your client during this time don't coach your client um and the guy left his mic on and sure enough when he was showing the guy how to use the thing he was like yeah so you just move the mouse like right here to show them where you fell and the other opposing counsel was still on and heard it all so he said again um he wasn't supposed to coach his client and it resulted in a mistrial just because people are dumb end of story that's just my ongoing why can't <laughs> why can't lawyers have nice things i don't know yeah, and and figure out Zoom mics and stuff like that, and uh, hap happened to happen in a week when uh, Chris Christie was in the news for his hot mic little era. Everybody saw that, but uh, you know, after he, I guess it was right after he announced that he was withdrawing from the race, he forgot that he had a mic on and continued to go on about the other Republican candidates and say some choice words. But I mean, yeah, I think one of the reasons I also picked it was that just like, I guess there is the bigger people somehow still don't realize that virtual hearings and things are the same as real hearings. And you just just because you're not in a courtroom, right. you doesn't mean you can now suddenly do things you're not supposed to do. Yeah, right. They take a more relaxed attitude to the whole thing and don't take it as seriously. Well, I mean, people in actual like, I don't, I don't know how many of you are on TikTok, but one of the trending things last week was the guy who leaped over the um, the uh, the judge issue was about to sentence somebody who leaped over the uh, the bench? I, I'm not sure what. Yeah. And like, 
like like into the air like he went probably 10 feet into the air and like landed on the judge and there was like chaos but then there was like a whole series of videos that followed it where it just showed random people leaping into this guy practicing because it was quite the uh, athletic feat that he accomplished there but oh yeah you know, no, that, that uh, the <laughs> the sequel to the longest yard or whatever is going to be great uh he's he's ready to go <laughs> well, I feel like people in, and even here in Rochester, there was news that there was just like, uh, they had to arrest people at sentencing, like family members, someone that got sentenced. I feel like it's this extension of what's happening on planes. It's just like a free for all online and off at this point. Everyone's just losing it and not following typical decorum. As long as we're on the people are dumb subject uh i would strongly recommend if you haven't seen joanna stern video joanna stern's video interview of the of the guy in jail who was stealing the iphones and passwords i mean it, it's a really instructive video what this guy would do he'd, he'd go to bars particularly with college students and he'd start chatting them up a little bit and then he'd say you know I can, I've got some drugs for sale or I can, you know, I've got some, I've got some, I'm a, I'm a rapper and here's my Instagram. And if you give me your phone, I'll plug in my contact information. So like, I cannot they, tell the difference they, between they, you and a drug dealer, Steve, with that language. It's just so <laughs> realistic. <laughs> I've got some so drugs for in, sale. Would you like them? <laughs> yeah. They'd plug in their password, which he would, you know, carefully record. Then he'd take the phone, and, you know, plug his contact in and then his buddy would distract him. He'd steal the phone. So now he's got the password and he's got the phone and it's ball game over. Everything's, you know, so he, they asked him how much last year do you think you earned doing this? And he said, Oh, I don't know, maybe $1.5 million. I don't know, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Like like people are dumb. Here's my phone. Here's my password. But but it's a cool video. I would uh, Jeff Richardson and I phone JD mentioned it in his thing. It is I watched it. It's really it really is interesting. All right, I'll check that out. Um, well, I, I had put down a couple of stories to talk about this week. One was the sort of the Carta mess that's been all over the news, uh, which is I don't know maybe that's legal tech adjacent too. Uh, Carta is sort of a legal tech company, maybe not. But maybe since we're we seem a little hungry for legal tech companies, I'll talk a little bit about the Agilov thing, which I think probably I'm sure. Some of you guys wrote about, but I thought it was kind of interesting. And Carol actually, Caroline and I actually kind of uh, previewed this last week on the show when we were both talking about a demo we had we had just had, uh, and I'm sure others of you had probably had the same demo. But you know, it, it was funny only because the Agileoff people, Agileoff is a you know a contract lifecycle management platform, and and they said you know we want to show you our new. Uh, AI uh, driven contract review capability. And to which I kind of said, well, didn't you already have an AI driven contract review capability? And well, like that was the old AI, this is the generative AI one. And uh, so I was a little bit skeptical going into it, um, but I actually thought it was kind of cool. You know, it's again, like a lot of these generative AI applications we've seen, it's sort of not necessarily a huge leap forward, but it's a nice sort of small step forward that uh, shows where this technology can go. Uh, and, you know, and what it does is just attack the the problem of the sort of the endless back and forth with, with redlining uh, in contract negotiations. And what's what, you know, what so, so what so many of these current software programs do is uh, 
you know, the, your opposing party, the opposing counsel, the other company or whatever sends you a contract draft. And then if you feed it into your AI, it says, well, your AI, you know, your contracts playbook has this language. And so it picks up your language and dumps it in and creates a red line and sends it back to them. But, you know, really all you're doing is going from their extreme position to your extreme position and sort of not really getting all that much closer in the negotiations. And so what Agilov's thing does is to kind of try and take their proposed clause and the kind of whatever your standard clause would be for that for that uh, particular provision and, and tries to bring them closer together, tries to come up with language that finds crafts some sort of a medium between the two extreme positions. Uh, and it, I mean, just from based on the demo, I haven't, I haven't used it. And, you know, it's always a little hard to know how much weight to put in a demo because obviously they've thought about what they're going to be showing you, but it looked pretty good. And it looked like it, it was, uh, you know, at least getting you a little bit closer. And, and you know, I think they're, they're straightforward saying this isn't for every clause or every negotiation, but if you haven't, it's particularly useful for a longer sort of more complex clause where it could be harder to reach agreement. If you're just talking about, you know, 30 days versus 60 days or something like that, then it doesn't really apply. Uh, but uh, so I thought that was, I thought that was worthy of, of note and, um, uh, I don't, Stephanie, I don't know if you guys covered it. I didn't notice if you guys covered it as well this week or saw it at all, but I thought it was kind of nice. Oh, we, we, the royal we did. I, I yeah. did not. So yeah. I yeah. have no insights to share, unfortunately, at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, it's, you know, it's one example of, of many of, of, of generative AI being put to, uh, I think, practical, practical uses in legal. And I don't, I hadn't really seen it before and just in that, in that sort of same incarnation in the contract space. So I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of whatever in contract stuff and AI at, uh, at Legal Week in a few weeks. Yeah, um, you know, the next two weeks are going to be a lot of announcements, I'm sure. I'm, it's been it's been more quiet than I expected thus far leading up to Legal Week. I'm not, I mean, I'm not even going to say I'm jinxing myself because I have no control over this. <laughs> but yeah. I haven't. I mean, oh, we had there was there. A, the the re reveal announced generative AI stuff this week. I saw. Yeah, I saw your article. I didn't yeah. Again, the royal we covered that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're very good at delegating in twenty twenty four. I I need a royal we to delegate to. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, well, I, I'm only going to well, be Bob, there if you, really if one you, full day of the conference, if, uh, so. Bob, if you if you had gone to CES, you would have been able to find that little we that you could delegate things to. So little <laughs> Samsung thing called Bally that runs around and oh know, yeah, I saw that. Asks you, is that the little round? Ask you how you're doing. Yeah, ask how you're doing, how your day was. Oh, that's interesting. It's like AI a nice, driven thing that nice. mixes cocktails for you. Did you see that one? <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it, but that's I can, imagine. I want to I can go only to... imagine it. Yes, these are the things <laughs> I want to go to CES for. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, last year uh, they had the, they had a last year they had a cute little thing that looked just like a little little dog. Do mm -hmm. all the you know all the little doggy stuff for you that you want to buy a dog for, except you didn't have to let it out or groom it or feed it or <laughs> just had to plug it in. But I guess right. that just didn't count. <laughs> yeah, but it's like what goes around comes around. Didn't Sony have one of those things out like twenty years ago or something? Yeah. Or 
yeah, yeah. that little thing. I forget what it was called. Yeah, there was. I can picture it. I can I absolutely yeah. picture it. I know exactly what you're talking about. The little robot dog one. thing. Yeah. Now, what I think is interesting is they just keep showing us all these cute little robots. Meanwhile, like, was it Hyundai who acquired Boston Dynamics? And you hear oh very little from Boston Dynamics all of a sudden with their, like, dog robots and their, hum like, the robots that have the human form. Have you seen the last video I looked up? It was, like, more athletic than any of us here, like, by far. Even at our prime, this thing. It was, like, doing, like, flips and walking up, like, a board that you know a piece of wood and uh, like it's terrifying and the fact that we're not hearing anything about it and they're like infusing these things with generative ai capabilities i'm re-watching battlestar galactica right now just to make sure that i am aware of what's coming <laughs> i mean boston dynamics particularly the, their dogs is the stuff of nightmares like it's oh, impressive terrifying. technologically but holy crap that stuff is frightening yeah. the dogs are the dogs are demonic i swear and and they're so <laughs> agile you know what I, I mean? With those four legs and the way that they move. And I mean, they're already using them like in military, like that. You're going to see it in like warfare. And that's where we start ending up with oh, so yeah. many issues. And the police are buying them and terrifying. And we're not yeah. seeing videos of any of that, are we? No, no, no. that stuff's nowhere to be found. <laughs> the creepy super <laughs> soldier dogs table. now. Yeah. So these cute robots are all just a ruse <laughs> to keep the populace, <laughs> you know, appeased. <laughs> Well, after the I'm proletariat not... revolution, we'll take control of all these robots. <laughs> we'll see. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that that all of you aren't robots, except for me. A simulation. <laughs> you guys are all, what are they, NPCs? It's my world, and you're all NPCs. Isn't except, that not yeah. Except for me is exactly what a robot would say, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, except that for me, me. <laughs> i am not a robot <laughs> all right we're not even legal tech adjacent anymore we're just moving off into a whole other area <laughs> i was gonna bring another story i almost shared and i saw mia ask the question about it i almost shared i almost brought up the the new york times suit against open ai and i was curious oh, yeah. you know, us all being in the journalism or journalism journalism adjacent whatever you want to call it writing for a living realm people had more thoughts on that one it's it was interesting like actually it gets it feel like there's more to it they get way deeper into the kind of prompts they put in and they were basically trying to you know they they were trying and successfully managing to bypass the paywall and it was really i mean it's interesting i can paste an article in here but yeah. I mean, on a broad concept, it's really interesting to me because, yeah. you know, as a lot as anybody have any number of people have said about it is, you know, if, if you uh, in order to uh, improve your intelligence, sit down and read The New York Times every day and read The Washington Post every day and, and read The Wall Street Journal every day and whatever. And, and out of that, you become more informed about the world and better able to answer questions and, and talk about politics or whatever. Then you're clearly not violating anybody's copyright or doing anything inappropriate. That's exactly what those publications exist for. Uh, but if, if a large language, so if a large language model is reading these publications and simply getting you know smarter by doing that then you know it, it's hard to it's in a way it's kind of hard to think of that as copyright infringement on the other hand if the large language language model is really ingesting the text in a way that it's somehow capable of regurgitating it or or reusing it in some very specific way then it seems to be more problematic 
there was the uh, New York Times article also last week where they talked about uh, the um, uh, you know how, how they learned that if you if you prompt GPT certain ways you can get it to spit out people's email addresses mm -hmm. uh, and, and oh, I think they yeah. used it with the New York Times reporters specifically uh, showing that it's in there somewhere and they're able to kind of get it out of there uh and uh so you know i think it's really in a, in a way i think part of the problem is we just don't we still don't fully understand the black box of what's going on with chat with chat gpt and gpt and uh uh you know it'd be interesting if nothing else if these lawsuits end up exposing kind of more of the inner workings behind what's going on with these models you know with this time Oh, with this time suit, I actually am going to cite uh, TechDirt uh, had this article, which I thought was very insightful. The, the thing with this time suit is the New York Times is actually itself incredibly guilty of stealing from other journalists. They all the time take somebody else, other outlets work and then change the words around and put it up with no attribution, uh, which they say, you know, that's not really plagiarism because they've changed it just enough, which is probably true. Technically, but that's the exact you independently thing that reporting it or confirming it in any way they do that, you're saying? No, uh, Techter, uh, they've been uh, they've been tagged with this several times. So there's lots of corrections that ultimately end up at the back of section, whatever, uh, where they have admitted to it in the past because it's been they've been caught doing it. And what Techter said is what I thought was really interesting was given this history this is a weird can of worms for the New York Times to be trying to open because OpenAI isn't copying their work. They're reading their work and learning from it and deciding to write its own thing based off of it, which it's hard to see how that's any different than this thing that the Times is notorious for doing. And I'll say, like, it's happened to us at Above the Law. Like, I remember there was a New York Times article several years ago that came out about nine months after we'd written the same thing uh, about some internal inner in, you know inside baseball legal thing that nobody cared about and they decided to care about it nine months later but you know you could see that it's not like they copied words we wrote but you know the the flow chart of what happened was what we did like they talked to the same people we did or they went to the same places we did and like it was just kind of a rehash which isn't copying but is much more close to what open AI system actually does. Well, in this particular case, which is why people are saying this one has more meat to it than the other ones, where it goes, who knows, is that they are literally copied. They put together a whole exhibit where they managed to sort of basically like jailbreak it, where word for word, it regurgitated verbatim all of it. And open AI put out this really interesting or weird, I don't know, whatever statement afterwards saying, memorization is a rare failure of the learning process that we're continually making progress on. Like it's not supposed to do that. But then they also throw in the, we expect our users to act responsibly, intentionally manipulating our models yeah. to regurgitate is not an appropriate use of our technology and is against our terms of use, which, I mean, I don't think that our, us what? our users should be responsible has a lawsuit written all over it. Like, who the hell knows what that means? What but no, this, this is like pure, they're like, oh, this is behind, the prompts were, this is behind a paywall. Can you go in right. and find the first yes. paragraph? Great. Right. And you find the next paragraph and it was spitting it out word for word. Yes, they were violating the paywall. And that's obviously a thing to do to say, you know, like they had access on the inside of paywall to work around the payroll wall, which, you know, is a problem on its own right. But I don't view that in any way as though they've like plagiarized from them or anything. They were they were violating the 
they had a work a back door past the paywall, which frankly, the New York Times has always had a back door around the paywall, which was, you know, hit the stop load button before they the whole story loads. Uh, but yeah, I can see how they would be mad about that. But I don't think that's a I view that as different than a training discussion like some of these others do. It's not a copyright issue. Yeah, like, yeah, because they're saying this is the New York Times' article. Here's the second paragraph of it, you know? Well, no, and that's what I'm saying. That's why this case is different than the others, and it raises more issues than just, hey, they trained on my stuff. That's not okay. Right. I'm not saying they're valid arguments. They're just a lot more arguments, because that other stuff is in this suit also. It just goes farther, because, like, Isha actually tried to repeat the exercise in both uh, the f GPT-4 and in, I think she did it in Bard, um, and, or no, in Bing, she did it in Bing, and Bing just didn't do anything, and then originally GPT-4 was doing it, and then they must have wised up, because at some point it stopped actually producing the same results, so that sort of suggests that they can tweak things. I don't know. Take that for what it's worth. Yeah. Well, I had, I mean, there was way back when the, uh, Washington posted the, the the list of sources that were used to train, and I forget whether it was Bard or whatever. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, GPT. But when my 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 blog showed up on that list, and instead of thinking, "Geez, I'm going to sue them," I was thinking, "Geez, I'm kind of honored that they bothered to, to use my blog." Yeah. Uh, but geez, maybe I should sue them instead. I don't know. All right. Well, that was that was good. Uh, anything else? We're out of time. That's it. It's Friday afternoon. We can all begin our weekend, and we will be back here next week to talk about whatever the heck happens next week. A few weeks yeah. till legal week, y'all. Right. Light a candle, light a candle for me, please. And a month to take ABA Tech Show. Just a month to ABA Tech Show. And uh, crazy. See y'all. See y'all there. Have a good weekend. Bye, y'all. Okay.